Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, coming to you from the Space Coast of Florida. Happy to be with you again this evening. Thank you very much for joining us. I apologize if I sound a little nasally. I went and caught a cold from my kids, and uh, a little under the weather, but uh, hopefully my voice isn't too irritating to you this evening. We have a great show for you tonight. I had a great opportunity to interview a very uh, special guest uh, by the name of Steve Brooks, and his his interview is going to come up shortly. We had uh, pre-recorded it uh, as we chatted by telephone. He's based out of Los Angeles, so, um, you know, we were uh, put in contact by a mutual friend, and uh, quite an interesting uh, interesting man, and, and the topic was so appropriate. I wanted to cover separation anxiety, as you can see by the title of our show, and um, this gentleman had a lot to enlighten us about with separation anxiety, and that's coming up very shortly, so please do um, remain with us. Um, now, we only actually have two email questions tonight, a little light on the email questions. One of them is actually for Steve and was addressed in our chat. Uh, that was sent in by Heather from Champaign, Illinois, and uh, Steve actually will um, address that in our interview that will be coming up shortly. So uh, before we get into our interview, I just want to go over our one other question that was sent in by Alex. Now, Alex could be a male or female name, so <laughs> um, not sure which way to go on that one, but whatever the case, Alex, he, she. Um, here's the question. Alex is uh, coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona, and this is a fairly quick one, um, or it should be. My dog has been limping really badly in his right hind leg. My vet took x-rays and determined that he has a torn ACL. He said the only way to fix it is surgery. I was researching alternative and found you on the Internet and that you are a proponent of therapy laser. Is this something I should look into? Anything else you can recommend as an alternative? Thanks. Um, Alex, it is true. I do like therapy laser for cases of chronic inflammatory problems, hip dysplasia, um, or you know, mild medically manageable hip dysplasia, osteoarthritis, um, intervertebral disc disease. So if we have um, disc injuries of the back, we can consider it as a surgical alternative if we don't have uh, major neurological issues resulting from a flipped disc or something like that. So yes, it does have its place. I have one in my clinic, and uh, I do like it for certain things. I'm sorry, it's not really an option here. Uh, we have a saying in veterinary medicine for those of us who do um, integrate some alternative therapies into our practices, the, the, the saying is this, if it's unstable, send it to the table. So the ACL ligament is the major stabilizing ligament in the knee, and basically it prevents forward thrust of the tibia or shin bone every time the dog steps. So really, um, you know, with a therapy laser, nothing's you know, going to really repair that ligament. It needs to be surgically manually fixed uh, you know, with, with a surgical procedure. So my suggestion is to have it repaired. Later on, you can follow up maintaining your dog uh, for, you know, as far as post-operative care and for the initial physical therapy regimen and maybe keep up with a, a certain regular regimen of therapy laser to 
uh, slow the onset of degenerative joint disease in that knee because even after we repair them, while we get them sound again and we relieve their pain and we restore the use of that limb uh, very well, you know, we certainly, just like in people, uh, we're not going to create what, what nature or God had truly intended uh, for that limb to be. Of course, you know, it's much better. It's a much better limb than it was before surgery, but at the same time, they're going to get degenerative joint disease, osteoarthritis in that knee sooner than if they never had torn their ACL. And and it's no different with people. And so therapy laser is something you could look into for managing that part of it. But indeed, Alex, have that knee repaired. Um, very rewarding surgery, and they re- recover from it fairly timely, fairly quickly. Usually we're talking about 9 to 12 weeks uh, full recovery, which is pretty darn good. Um, so let's get to our guest this evening. Uh, you know, back to Steve Brooks. Um, we're talking about separation anxiety, and Steve is a certified professional dog trainer. And this is a credential granted by the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. And he founded uh, a website called uh, stevebrookscanineu.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-B-R-O-O-K-S letter K, number 9, U.com. Folks, I'm going to post that link also on our blog. You can visit the blog at webdvm.blogspot.com after the episode, and it will be there, um, you know, linked, and you can check out his site. It's really something special to see. But he found us at stevebrookskanineu.com in the Silver Lake District of Los Angeles in 1999, and since then he's been one of L.A.'s most sought-after dog trainers. Um, Steve's clients include Hollywood celebrities, such as, this is this is really good, Cheryl Crow, Robert Downey Jr., Cheryl Teagues, William Peterson, Rick Rubin, uh, members of uh, the band Chicago, Earth, Wind & Fire, which is pretty neat. And, of course, he also works with everyday dog owners that don't necessarily show up in Us Weekly. Uh, Steve has been promoting healthy relationships between dogs and their owners for the better part of two decades, and he uses what he calls a reward-based training as techniques are science-based, fun, creative, and they specialize in solving all manners of behavioral, dog behavioral problems. So um, certainly separation anxiety is a very appropriate topic for us to cover with Steve this evening because it's one of the most common things I see in practice. And without further ado, let's patch you right into our interview that we had earlier this week. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm on the phone with Steve Brooks, Certified Professional Trainer, KA, which stands for Knowledge Assessed. And uh, we're talking about separation anxiety this evening. And uh, first, I'd like you welcome to the, welcome you to the show, Steve. I really appreciate you joining us this evening. No problem. Glad to be here. Excellent. So uh, let's go ahead and, and kind of dive right in uh, to our topic because it is a, a fairly common problem and it can be very frustrating for folks. And we want to just educate everyone out there about it. Um, first off, if you can just um, explain to us what separation anxiety is and what does it look like. Okay, it's uh well, it can look a lot of different ways. There there I'll, I'll go through a list of um things that that you'll 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 see in a minute here, but basically it's when a dog is emotionally, you know, when they just lose it, when they're emotionally stressed, they just freak out mainly because they can't touch or see their owner. And you know, things that it'll happen pretty much every time uh the people go out, not just sometimes. You know, it usually happens, you know, five to 30 minutes after the owner leaves. Sometimes it could be extreme and last all day. And there, there's, you know, there's an umbrella. There's different types of separation problems. You know, there's separation anxiety, and that's really severe. But there's other things we'll talk about in a minute. Um, they're all forms of separation problems. But basically, severe signs, you'll, you'll see, oh, you'll see 
major destruction, you know, um, dogs trying to escape through windows and doors and baseboards, and you'll see, you know, inappropriate uh, urination and defecation and howling, vocalizing, barking, uh, you know, extreme, uh, digging to get out, digging on the hardwood floors even, um, shaking, trembling, dogs won't eat, they'll pace, they'll either, you know, maybe vomit over active greetings when you come home. Wow. Um, I made a list. There's even more. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, you know, excessive licking, hyperactivity, even self-mutilation for real extreme cases, OCDs, obsessive-compulsive disorders, um, things like spinning, tail chasing. Um, you know, but separation anxiety stems from a strong attachment to a person or, you know, the family. And, um, but there, there's other forms of separation problems. Like I said, there's attention seeking. Well, actually, the second down on the list I usually find is insecurity. Uh, a lot of dogs are just insecure. Sometimes it's attention seeking. Sometimes it's fear of noises. Uh, the heater kicks on. The dog will destroy the house, leaf blower next door. Dog tears the window, you know, shutters down. Um, sometimes it's boredom. Uh, so there's a lot of different, you know, there's just really like mild and extreme, and you just have to kind of get to the figure it out by asking enough questions. And you'll see sometimes one or two or three or you know several of these things happening, not not always just one thing. That's interesting. And and so um, let me ask you this: I had a pit bull. <clears throat> this is a true story. Uh, one of my patients actually jumped through a plate glass window. Uh, this dog was known to have separation anxiety and uh, ended up slicing its Achilles tendon. Had to repair that surgically. Um, have you seen it, cases that extreme? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen dogs go through windows, doors. Just, uh, and, you know, uh, one thing that I always recommend people do is videotape to see exactly what's going on when you're not home. And you could see what sets that off. Was it, you know, the second you drove away? I actually had a dog eat the couch on Tuesdays, and after videotaping <laughs> them, it was the leaf blower from the gardener every Tuesday showed up. Okay, so that, that, that kind of comes with my second question here. Um, when we had first met and, and we were first introduced, you know, I I had come to you because I um, we were introduced by a mutual friend, obviously, but um, my topic of separation anxiety I thought was ideal for you to come on the show. And, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was that you said to me, <clears throat> you know, first and foremost, we have to uh, figure out, is it truly separation anxiety? I guess that's what you're getting at. So would you care to elaborate on that? Yeah, well, that would really be a true sign when you see a dog breaking through windows and going that extreme. That, that to me, would be separation anxiety, especially if you had some of the other things I mentioned mixed in there. But there, there, sometimes you have to rule out medical things, you know. Um, there's other things that dogs could could be acting out, and it's not separation anxiety. For instance, you know, like I said, uh, urinating in the house inappropriately, that just might be a urinary tract infection, or sometimes sure. it could be, you know, hypothyroidism or things like seizures the dog's suffering from. And, uh, Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, you always got to rule that out before you just jump to separation anxiety, but yeah. those extreme things, what I, what I would consider when they're, you know, that, that would be pretty extreme. And So a person comes to you, says, my, my I think my dog has separation anxiety. There's this, this disaster of consequences that play out whenever I leave the house. Um, you're, you're, you're saying that one of the first things you're going to recommend is actually uh, video, you know, putting hidden video in, in the home. Yeah, and there's a lot of new technology that even I'm not that up on. I'm looking into it myself, but these drop cameras for iPhones and Androids, um, oh, yeah. 
there's all sorts of new modern technology where you could really see what's going on when you leave. Even a voice-activated tape recorder I used to use before all this technology, just, uh, you know, it would go off when there was noises, and it would it would shut off by itself when there weren't noises, and you can get an idea if the dog was, you know, barking all day. But sometimes, um, yeah, even just looking, just hiding through windows or having mirrors, reflections, you, you kind of got to see what's going on when you're not there sometimes. That's and interesting. videotaping gives you a lot of information. And once you have that, you, if you say it is a noise phobia or something, then you can work with that, you know, by desensitizing this dog to this, you know, like a sound effects tape of, say, a construction workers, you know, and it might not be, you know, true separation anxiety. So okay. bottom line is you got to fix it. When a dog's stressed, you want to make him calm, you want to make him relax, and you don't want to see him stressed. So. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know what? I've been there. <clears throat> I've been there myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, actually, before I was a veterinarian, I had a, a Labrador who I just adored. I mean, she was my college dog, my vet school dog. She was my pre-marriage, early marriage, pre-kids dog. And her one flaw, though, was she had the separation anxiety problem. So I've lived it, and I know how frustrating it can be because you actually you absolutely adore these animals. And, and when you're there, they're perfect, you know, a lot of them. But, you know, based on experience, I, I had that particular Labrador eat through a door. So I know what you're talking about. Um so, so let's go to our next question here. You know, let's say you have, you know, you, you've done your questionnaire with your prospective client and your prospective, I guess you'd call, you'd call the, the, the dog perhaps your patient um, or customer or whatever. Uh, you have identified that the problem is indeed separation anxiety. Um, obviously, you know, we, we are on the air and we can't really uh, probably get, too too involved, but if you can just generalize, uh, what what is your approach? How do you deal with this? I mean, do you put them on a couch and have a chat with them? What do you do? Um, sometimes that works. No, I uh, <laughs> basically, you know, you want to address just about any training or behavior problem I get. I address. I break it down into three phases, and I start out with strict management, and then I do training, and then I do behavior modification. And basically, management is not allowing the dog to practice the bad stuff through common sense. And I can talk more about management specifically with behavior modification here in a minute, but management is key not to let the dog practice bad stuff. Then, of course, the training would be teach the dog to, you know, to relax and realize that, you know, mom and dad got it covered. I don't have to be so nervous. I can relax because I have some rules now and I have some training and structure. And if dogs learn to, you know, do some basic things like come and, sitting down, the, the biggest thing is stay. You know, if a dog can stay, that's one of the first things I do is teach the dog to stay away from the owner, even if it's five feet or two feet at first and then five feet and then ten feet, then before you know it, out of the room and out of sight. But you've got to teach the dog to relax as much as possible all day long. Um, any relaxation techniques you can do from, you know, lavender massage with sound, of, you know, relaxing spa music to just uh, down stays all day long, teaching the dog to relax, giving us some structure. Uh, so we have, you know, we have management, we have training, getting that set of rules down so they can relax because they know someone's in charge. Right. And then the behavior modification is a long-term approach to really getting to the underlying problem. And that's where we want to use, you know, counter-conditioning and desensitization to things, for instance, um, departure cues, you know, when you leave the house, uh, there's all these cues that the dog knows you're leaving. The second sometimes 
you wake up and you just put on your shoes and the dog knows you're going out and starts to lose it or you're making your coffee or picking up your car keys and you've got to slowly get the dog used to doing these things but not leaving all the time um, right. doing them all day long and coming back in you know there's tons of different approaches but that's one little step that I would throw in but I think the biggest thing is just getting the dog to stay at the other end of the room when you're watching TV and not constantly touching you and being on you 24 7 okay. um, you know there's there's I have dozens and dozens of behavior modification tech you know protocol I would I would use, but right. those would be some main ones, just teaching a dog to relax, to stay, get used to sounds, uh, you know, your, your departure cues. Um, you know, I usually tire the dog out before I leave. I make sure they, they're eating right. Okay. Um, all that stuff's very important. You know, if I'm not eating right, I don't feel well. And uh, if I don't have enough mental stimulation and exercise, I'm going to go a little stir crazy as well. Yeah, sure. And, they're um they're very much like us, aren't they? In a little more, of course, of course, significantly more primitive way. But but they, what makes them tick is doesn't sound too far removed from from what makes us tick. Is it? Would you agree with that? Um, you're exactly right. Especially with, with separation anxiety, it is very similar um, to to what people get when they have panic disorders and uh, anxiety, and it's just the same the same stuff's going on physiological with us, you know, our stress hormones our, and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our yeah. serotonin levels, our cortisol levels. I mean, you know more about that than I do as far as being a veterinarian. But, but when things aren't balanced right in that department, you know that there are medications that can help. And uh, of course, you don't want to just do medications without doing behavior modification in conjunction with that. Sure. And you don't want to jump to behavior modifications without trying some other things, or at least getting a really good diagnosis from a, you know, certified, you know, pro or something. And, yeah, now that's 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 really um, you know, actually you kind of morphed right into my next point there, and that is um, a lot of vets, you know, unfortunately, we don't get a you know I touched on this earlier in the program, but we don't really get a great deal of behavioral training. I mean, we get uh, one small section of internal medicine, you know, which is maybe a day or two is spent on it and realistically unless we go for the board certification uh the specialty after we graduate which the vast majority of us don't um you know really we have to independently research so we rely on people like you and 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 you know for the most part uh because it's either that or throw them on Prozac so um you know we don't want to just jump to that so you know let, let's just go to this one premise first can you do you feel confident that you could cure every case of separation anxiety just through your approach and your training do you think it's close to 100 percent um without with with medicines and with working with a, a veterinary behaviorist or you know any veterinarian working in conjunction with medicines and doing all the little tricks i know i think the chances are usually pretty darn good but there's uh no hundred percent no right. there's there's never a hundred percent no and that that applies really to everything in life but um yeah so, but no I, I make some huge success but sometimes we do need temporarily just to use the medications to help and then we can always wean off right there, there's problems though with um you know a lot of vets um will prescribe medicine but they don't do a a blood work first or a baseline so you need to know and check back and see what's happening with the dog 
um, some of these medicines don't kick in for weeks, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at a time, so you might not see a, a change right away. Right. There can be side effects. You might have to use uh, several meds, um, sometimes for panic disorders and separation anxiety. They're different things, so two different type of medicines might be used at once. And that's kind of out of my realm. Um, you know, I, I always, when it gets to that area, I, I refer off to a veterinarian. Um, but the medicines alone don't work. You, you have to do behavior stuff, too. And there's tons of other things I use, like, a, you know, natural things to relax the dog. I'll, I'll use rescue remedy, uh, dog appeasing pheromone, which is a DAP is short for dog appeasing pheromone. It's a synthetic pheromone that, uh, Helps puppies relax. It reminds them of, you know, like a lactating female, a mother. A uh, soothing pheromone. Uh, now, yeah. you really, I've heard of this stuff. I've never actually heard it uh, apply. Do you, do you, in your experience, that these natural things help? I've heard of rescue. They're like drops you put in there. Yeah, no, I use this stuff all the time. I, I board and train dogs from my home. I've been doing this uh, in this particular house for 13 years, and I've literally had thousands of dogs come and go through my house. And, you know, I board clients' dogs that I've trained, and, I have a house full, and you know, I would say most of them have a little trouble being confined at first, and they all learn to relax. You know, it's another thing I wanted to mention too: you don't want to ever put a dog with really severe separation anxiety in a crate or in a small confined area where they could hurt themselves. Um, you want to make sure, you know, I always give it a go, but if I think the dog's really going to hurt themselves in there, it's not always the right thing to use the crate. But but when I do get a dog used to a kennel. Um, or just being left alone. Yeah, there's uh, sprays. There's a chill-out spray I use. It's called chill-out. Um, I use lavender oils, essential oils I burn quite often in the room. Um, wow. <laughs> and um, I'll put classical music on or the spa channel on my uh, Dish Network. Uh, just spa music, relaxing, you know, non-busy classical music really is proven to help relax dogs in kennel situations. I'll have the TV on in the other side of the house, so the dog hears talking or sirens. You know, CNN is on. They hear the news, and they hear uh, they'll hear the soft music predominantly in the room. Um, I'll usually crack the door so they're not completely isolated, or you know, double baby gates. Um, sometimes I'll I'll record myself doing regular chores around the house. And I'll put that tape on when during the day so the dog just, you know, when I do go out, he'll think I'm home because I'll, I'll have, you know, just re- everyday chores. The blender goes on. I shut a door, you know, things like that. So the dog thinks I'm home when I sneak out half the time. Um, you know, I use WD-40 and, and oil on door hinges to keep them quiet when I open the door. You know, <laughs> I come and go all day long so they don't, they don't even know, you know, they just get sick of it. So it's like, oh, this guy's always coming back. Right. All the little tricks you can do like that. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it sounds to me like you you have a very a very comprehensive mo- multimodal approach. Um, and uh, let me let me just throw this out to you real quick. I got um, I work with a, a certified professional trainer who I just love. I think she's just fantastic. And I mean, she has taken some cases and and not just separation anxiety, but some cases where there was um, you know uh, fear aggression. That to the point that you know the dogs' lives were at stake because the owners were so frustrated that you know come in don't even have to be muzzled. There's amazing things that that you guys can do. Those of you that you know have the very good training and, and really uh, study your craft very well. 
which, you know, judging on what, everything I've seen on your website, you're, you're one of those. And um, basically, this has been my experience with the separation anxiety cases. I have found that she will resolve about 80 plus percent uh, without the use of any uh, medications, meaning like serotonin increasers like Prozac or amitriptyline, or sometimes we'll even use these days we're, we're venturing into Paxil. Um, and, and so, you know, 80, would, would that be a percentage that, that sounds about right? Yeah, that right? sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you don't get the full, the true results either when you call back your owners or you talk to them. They don't always want to tell you that, that it's bad because, you know, they don't right. want to let you think their dog's not doing well. Right. So it's hard to get firm statistics when I do question my clients, but I, I do think that sounds about right. Okay. And, and yeah. that's you know that's pretty high success rate. I mean, if you look at if you thought you you know if you had a disease and had an eighty plus chance percent that or eighty plus percentage chance that you're going to you know beat the disease, I I I don't know about you, I feel pretty good about my chances. So you know that's 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 pretty good. Um, so when when drugs do get involved, do you do you actually have a one on one with the veterinarian? Like do you, do you do you consult with one another? Because that, that's what I do with my particular local uh, person that I work with here. Is that something that? Um... Yeah, I do that sometimes. I wish I did that more. I uh-huh. I'm trying to to build more you know relationships with veterinarians and yeah. uh, that that would really help if we could all work hand in hand together. Sometimes it doesn't go down that way though. Yeah, it it really should, and I hope it's not the the vets giving you the resistance. I do have to, me personally, I have to trust the person that I'm dealing with. And what I like to do is, you know, any any trainer that, um, and now I have my go-to person now for like the last five years, so I'm not going to change there. But when she first approached me, um, we had lunch, we talked, I learned about her approach, her philosophy, her training, and I, I was I was intrigued, and I, I gave her a chance, and you know, it's been a, a really good relationship. So I I would encourage you know, veterinarians certainly to get involved in, 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 in folks that they trust, that they trust their training and, and also have the opportunity to uh, build a relationship with them. Um, well, that's great. I mean, that's a very interesting separation anxiety talk. I really thank you for enlightening us on that. Now, um, as you know, I take questions from listeners and, uh, because I pre-advertised this particular show, um, there's one for you. <laughs> um, is that okay with you? Um, sure. Don't okay, it's, it's a doozy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually interested to hear uh, your oh, answer. Oh, I'm ready. Go for it. We'll see. All sure. right. So, so this is sent in from Heather from Champaign, Illinois. All right. And here's her question. I have a 12-year-old Border Collie mixed female that is in good health. She was spayed at nine months of age and has been housebroken her whole life. After the birth of my first child, she began urinating on one particular throw rug in the house. At first, occasionally, then seemingly whatever chance she got, even if she had been outside only minutes before. I had her checked by the vet, who checked her out with urinalysis, blood work, and x-rays, found her to be in perfect health. Since I have a very large master bedroom, I started keeping her in there, letting her out only to go out in the yard to play. This worked for a while, but then she started peeing on my other dog, a five-year-old Labrador's bed. (laughs) She continues to do this no matter how many times she is let out to the point that, unless it is bedtime, I keep his bed up so that she will not pee on it. Just to be sure, I had her checked out again with urine, blood work, x-rays, and even an ultrasound of her bladder this time, still in perfect health. How do I get her to stop this? 
How do you get her to stop peeing on the house? Well, first, if she's peeing in the house when the people are home, um, or it, or is she just peeing when they're gone? If she's just peeing in the house when they're gone, that could be attributed to separation anxiety. If she pees in the house when they're home, then it's not separation anxiety. It's just a dog that's not potty trained. Okay. So how do you potty train a dog? That's a whole other topic. But basically, in a, a rule of thumb I have is if you don't allow a dog to make a mistake for generally about a month, sometimes three weeks, four weeks, maybe even six weeks, but you just don't allow them to make a mistake, they'll usually never make a mistake again unless they're sick or they're on some kind of medication. And how do you do that? through strict management and teaching them some of those rules, like I mentioned, like stay. I don't know a dog that will pee if they know how to stay and relax in a spot. Mm -hmm. um, and if a dog just doesn't have too many opportunities because they're just watched like a hawk, they're doing something specific, they're either in a, you know, a crate or in a downstay or sleeping or chewing on a toy or playing in the yard, but they're just not allowed to wander off when you're doing something else and you're like, where's the dog? I haven't seen him for 10 minutes. If you just don't allow that to happen for about a month of your life, you'll generally win, um, and you'll get the dog potty trained. You know, as far as keeping them off that bed, there's management. You could, you know, put a baby gate up, pick the bed up like you're talking about, put sticky contact paper in front of the bed so the dog doesn't want to stand on the, the sticky paper, and they won't, you know, like double-sided tape, and the dog won't want to, uh, you know, can't get to the bed. I mean, there's a lot of common sense things we can do, uh, maybe replace the bed, get rid of the odor on the bed. Um, but beds absorb pee. So you've got to, during this management for about a month, like I said, you don't allow the dog to a soft area where it will absorb. You know, maybe he'll be fine on the tiled kitchen, but just keep him off the carpet for a month or so till he just hasn't practiced. And, of course, taking him out for short pee breaks, five minutes, you know, roughly, and if they don't go, they could maybe go back to their crate or their, you know, their, the area they won't pee, like the tiled floor. And uh, if they're going to be loose in the house, maybe, you know, they're not loose. They're on a leash or they're doing a stay until you've seen some success. Um, so you're saying that if you can, if you can quell the unwanted behavior for one month, um, it is likely that that will resolve the behavior. That's interesting. I actually never heard Very that. likely. I mean, I, honestly, if a dog just doesn't practice making those indoor mistakes, mm. you just see it reduced from every day to, you know, once a week to every two weeks, and before you know it, you, you, don't, you don't see it happen for a month, you're going to win 99% of the time, I think. You know, wow. if, uh, if you allow it to happen, you let your guard down, and, of course, there's things that will help if you don't get the dog excited. You know, you watch what they're... Uh, you know, how much they're, you know, drinking before bed. You watch, you know, they're going to pee when they're excited, when new people come over. So you got to watch for signs and when, when you think they're going to wander off and go. After a long hike, after stimulation, they come home, and that's usually when they're going to make those mistakes. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, you can't, uh, you know, you can't scold out of them. And same with separation problems. If you try to correct and physically get mad at the dog for any of the stuff, you're just going to build on anxieties and they're going to pee more or get more stressed or anxious. Right. And, of course, bringing them to it and scolding, that's just pointless, isn't it? That truly is pointless. They have no idea why you're... Right. Just, no connection know, there, right? Just at the moment. You know, yeah. I mean, if you catch them in the act verbally, you might clap your hands or right. stomp on the ground and run them outside, and that's about as far as I would take it, you know, as... And then try. I don't even let them see me clean it up. I just don't make a big fuss about it. And I usually blame myself, and I tell my clients to, you know, usually it, it's usually your fault because you let your guard down and you didn't look. And if you, you know, you will have success if you just don't let them practice. 
And, uh, you know, crate training helps, of course. The, the crates really help. If it's a dog that doesn't have true severe separation anxiety, that would help. Okay. Well, very interesting. There you have it, Heather. Straight so from I the train. I hope that helps. Yeah, just don't let your dog practice. You know, be, be strict. Work Just potty train him from the beginning. I don't think it has anything to do with separation anxiety. It's just your dog's not potty trained. Right, just kind it's of never too late. Them. If they're in good health, I've potty trained old dogs, young dogs. It doesn't matter if he's 10 or 13 or, you know, 14. If he's in good health, you could still potty train him. Wow, okay, excellent. Um, well, there there you go, and uh, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us this evening. Would you be interested in coming back on the show? Because I, I got a number of things I could talk to you about. <laughs> I would love to. I love doing stuff like this. this Absolutely. Fun, so. Well, thank you for coming on, and... Uh, we appreciate your time. Call me anytime, Roger. Thanks. You got and that was Steve Brooks, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in this evening. I appreciate you, as always, caring to hear what I have to say. And uh, as I said before, you can uh, visit our blog at webdvm.blogspot.com and check out Steve's website. The link will be there. Once again, that's Steve Brooks, K9U.com, S T E V E B R O O K S. Letter K, number 9U.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the Internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network, with gig speeds everywhere. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.